It's time to talk about Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. And now, here's Ira. My guest is Grammy Award nominee musician Otmar Liebert. He's a guitarist, songwriter, and producer performing in Club Madrid at Sunset Station Saturday, September 7th at 8 p.m. For ticket information, go to sunsetstation.scelv.com. And for everything about Otmar Liebert, go to otmarliebert.com. And Otmar, welcome to the show. Thanks very much. Good morning. Good morning. And I'm going to make the assumption that you are in Santa Fe at the moment. Um, I could be, but I'm not. <laughs> okay. Figuratively, Some metaphysically you are, but not literally. Right. Okay. Fair enough. But you're based in Santa Fe, New Mexico. I am based in Santa Fe. Um, right now I'm in Vancouver. Well, it has a certain um, similar vibe in a way, doesn't it? I, I'm, I'm really actually amazed at um, what a cosmopolitan city it is and how laid back at the same time. Right. That, that's the part, the laid back part. Very unusual. It yeah. is. Very unusual. I like it. And I want to talk a little bit about your laid back aspect as well as your, your current album, FET. It's very intriguing to me that you are a Zen master. You were, you were ordained as a Zen monk in May of mm. 2006. Right. And I always felt that you should have written a book called Zen and the Art of Guitar Maintenance. I, I wrote that book in the 80s sometime, but um, then decided that it was all nonsense. Uh, <laughs> and, and just to clarify, I, I am certainly not a Zen master, but I, I, did, I, was, I did become a monk in 2006. And again, it's, in the Zen tradition, it's very different because... You, you know, there's a lot less rules, I think. You know, Buddhist monks in Southeast Asia have something like 250-something rules, and in Zen, there, I think there's uh, 16. So it's, it's, it's not the same thing, and you're not uh, celibate either. So it's, uh, there's always a discussion, is it, are you even a monk if you're a Zen monk? But Well, you can always carry a Zen exemption card that allows you to (laughs) do all these things. So I did correct myself when I first called you a Zen master and then went to Zen monk. So just on my own behalf, I I misspoke, but then I corrected it. So I I Mm. was just the reason I say I was intrigued by it, because in a way you are living well, probably a multi-track life, but certainly a dual track life in the sense of being a musician, as I mentioned, a guitarist, songwriter, and producer. And on the other track is really living as a Zen approach to things. Right. And right. I'm, is, it a, is it a challenge for you to live those dual and probably multiple track lives? Because I'm sure there's much more to you that we'll get into in a half hour. But do you right. find that there's a challenge trying to keep all the tracks online, so to speak? Not really, because, uh, you know, I started playing guitar when I was 11 years old, and I started meditating when I was 15, so it's it's something that's been with me my entire life, and they're not actually very easily separated, and what I mean by that is um, when I did my first session, which is an intense uh, meditation period, 
um, at a Zen center in Utah, actually. After the first day, which included something like six hours of meditation and a few other things, uh, somebody asked, so how, how is it going for you? I said, you know, I, I'm a musician. I've been doing this all my life, and it's kind of the same thing, whether I practice guitar or practice meditation. It's just a different part of the brain, but it's all the same thing. Yeah, so that, that makes it sense. Doesn't seem like, yeah, it doesn't seem like it's separate tracks to me. It's just a multi-use track, shall we say. Right. <laughs> I like that. Rather than multiple tracks as in a studio, a multi-use track in life. Right. I like that. Yes, well, very much Well, you know, so. those, those, those paths that are for pedestrians and, and bicyclists, that's what this is. Yes, it's all sharing the road. Exactly. A lot of people may not know that you were born in Cologne, Germany. Mm-hmm. And correct me if I'm wrong, but there was a beat club that you were connected to or listened to or watched that really got you interested in the guitar? Yeah, we didn't have a TV. So on the weekends, on Saturdays, we'd often go to my grandparents and they had a TV. I, I, and there was a, a show on German television called The Beat Club. And I think you can find examples of it on the, uh, on the YouTube. And, um, they were just very interesting. They had a lot of live performances and they did those early video effects where you put a lens against the monitor and you get these weird, you know, effects. And I think I just, uh, the, the, the guitar player seemed so, so strange and interesting and expressive. I think that's, that was the thing that, that, um, I found so interesting because I was a rather quiet kid and, um, at some point, I asked my parents for a guitar, but I knew they were going to say no to an electric guitar because we lived in a tiny apartment. So I figured I was really clever and sort of offering a Trojan horse by uh, saying, you know, I'll study classical guitar. Yeah, so that's that makes what sense. I did. That was my entrance. And of course, you've gone that multi track lane again with all kinds of music, but. Your music is very interesting because it is somewhat undefinable. I know that you had to define it in a way, commercially, mm. that I think was at the request of studios for you to do that. But if, if I mm. were to just throw it to you and say, Akbar, what do you see as your music? Is there, is there a sentence? It doesn't have to be a word. Is there a sentence that mm. what the music means to you as you perform it? Well, I think uh, I've been lucky in that I've... Um been able to do really different things from, you know, sort of quiet solo guitar things to, you know, like the album Slow, which is very slow, um, <laughs> to, <Yes>. <laughs> to things like the album 305 that have quite a bit of electric guitar on it, or the new album, which has sort of a very joyful, upbeat groove to it. But I think if I had to put it in one word, I would say it's it's a hybrid, and it's always it turn it becomes different a different type of hybrid every time. But it 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 combines a lot of different things. It's it's basically how I process the world around me and what I hear, and not just the audio portion, but also what I see around me, and that that becomes music. And I I have a really hard time putting it into the official genres 
You know, I mean, in a way, world music is one of those umbrella names that everything made on this planet is really world music. But other than that, I don't really have a good, a good uh, choice of, of of genres. And yet, what you but I've, you know, the funny thing is, I've actually seen it in everything from you know Spanish to uh, folk to instrumental music to jazz to I mean I've I've seen it in every genre which is really kind of funny and even the Grammy people don't know what to do with it <laughs> I've I've been put in uh, instrumental pop music in you know Latin music and world music and new age music they um so that's that's actually kind of funny that the the people whose business it is to put you into a genre seem to have a hard time to do it, which they, is great. Yes, they may have to create a whole new one for you. That's right. The Atma category. Exactly. And I, I'm going to lead a campaign for that <laughs> and see what happens. I have absolutely no influence with them, but, you know, you never know. So it's funny, right. though, that with the people that come to your shows, they probably in there, if you ask them, they may not know how to define it. They just know they like it and they want to see you. I think, I think that's the important thing i remember one time going um playing at a club i I, might have been in in montreal canada but there there were people came in of all ages and then this guy comes in and he's decked out in black leather and lots of tattoos and he he came up to me and says you know I only like Guns N' Roses and your stuff. I'm like, no, that's great. <laughs> so you can combine, that's very funny, you can, you can combine Atmar with any other group. It seems that way. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's, that's great. Were your parents supportive of you in your decision to continue as a musician? I know you also wanted to pursue a career as a designer or photographer. And and yet Germany is a different culture than the United States. So I'm not sure how that worked in terms of the dynamic with your parents. Well, I think, I think there isn't uh, a parent on the planet that, that when their child decides that they were going to be a musician that goes, hooray, this is a great idea. Um, in fact, I don't think my mom made peace with it until about 93, 92 when she realized, you know, I'm, I was on my third or fourth album and, you know, I was going to be able to survive. <laughs> yes. um, right. So I, I don't think it's something that a parent, you know, what was amazing about my parents is that they, they, they never stayed in my, stood in my way. So when I said, I want to travel in Asia for a year and I'm going to work this summer until I have enough money and then I'll, I'll be gone for, you know, a year or so. They never said, hey, don't do that. Or when I decided to come to the States, they, um, they, never, they never said, don't do it. So I think that's uh, probably as much as one can expect. It is. But your decision to come to the United States, how did mm. that come about? Why thereafter, growing up in Germany, traveling around the world, you obviously picked the United States, and then yeah. eventually ended up in yeah. Santa Fe. What was, what was the thinking behind that? Well, I think what happened is that, you know, when you travel by yourself for any extended period of time uh, anywhere, you, especially as a young person, because when I left, I was a, still a teenager, I was 19, 
there is just a development curve that that goes up steeply because you're on your own in foreign countries, multiple foreign countries. Uh, you're speaking a foreign language because English is the lingua franca of the world, obviously. And so when I came home, I just found that my my friends and the people I knew seemed to be the same as they were when I left, and I didn't feel like I was fitting in. I think because I felt that I, I had changed over that year, and um, I had met, um, made a few American friends traveling in Asia, and um, that's how I arrived in the States, in Boston, actually. And that's quite a different environment, Boston, than in Santa Fe. So clearly, at some point, yes. you realized you had to find an area that appealed to your internal self, and that well, you, you know, could it was it was it was pure luck. So many things in life, when you look back, I just you know, I had been in Boston for um, like six or seven years, and I had one of those uh, life-changing moments. I was working at a as a teller in a bank, and the uh, bank manager came up to me after work one time and said, you know, you should go to banking college. And I said, I can't afford that. And he said, um, we like your work, and it would be a full scholarship, so it doesn't cost you anything. And I um, I think I waited about 15 seconds, and then I said, um, well, you know, I'm a musician with a day job and not a banker with a hobby. I quit. Because I figured if I didn't quit, this was going to be too tempting. And so I uh, took the job that I figured didn't have any upward mobility at all. I became a bike messenger for three years. (laughs) And and then after that period, um, a friend of mine uh, was born and raised in Santa Fe, and he was moving back to help his aging parents. And he said, you know, I think you'd really like Santa Fe. And I was thinking to myself, you know, that's just a tiny town. How could I possibly enjoy that? But I helped him drive a van to Santa Fe. And then just that was in uh, spring of 86. And I'm still there. That's great. Let's take a break. My guest, Grammy Award nominee musician Atmar Liebert, is performing in Club Madrid at Sunset Station Saturday, September 7th at 8 p.m. for ticket information. Go to sunsetstation.sclv.com. And for everything about Otmar Liebert, go to otmarliebert.com. We'll be right back. We'll be back with more Talk About Las Vegas with Ira in just a moment. You've seen mobsters and cops face off on the big screen. You've heard the legends of Al Capone and Elliot Ness. But how much do you know about what really happened? Dive into the true stories behind the myths of organized crime and law enforcement at the Mob Museum, the country's finest collection of mob artifacts, history, and interactive exhibits. Find out more and get tickets at themobmuseum.org. Now let's get back to Talk About Las Vegas, with Ira. Welcome back. I'm talking with Grammy Award nominee musician Atmar Liebert, guitarist, songwriter, and producer, and he's performing in Club Madrid at Sunset Station Saturday, September 7th at 8 p.m. For ticket information, 
Go to sunsetstation.selv.com. And for everything about Atmar Liebert, go to atmarliebert.com. And Atmar, you didn't end up being a bike messenger at Santa Fe, did you? No. Oh, good. I okay. Uh, yeah, I did. I did uh, end up in a store selling Santa Fe design slash furniture. I did that for a couple of years and playing at night in uh, different bars in Santa Fe. But I think part of it is just um, I was brickheaded and I just, you know, at first I was thinking to myself, if I don't have a recording contract by 25, by the time I'm 25, I'm going to do something else. And then, of course, I'd get to 25 and I'd like, I'm changing that to 27. <laughs> 27, I'm going to change that to 30. So, um, part of it is just that you, you know, you don't give up and you keep going and then you know, hopefully you get a break at some point. Well, there's brickheadedness and there's persistence, and you may have had both. Yes. So yes, I believe so. Good combination. I want mm. to talk a little bit also about your album, Fet, and mm. given your Zen background, I thought it should have been called Fate, but all right, that's just me. <laughs> but, Different spelling, but yes, very close. exactly. But oh. Fet is your current album. It's available on uh, Bandcamp, and on uh, the Bandcamp, mm app that people right. can go to, and you had a series of people working with you. I've lost track of the uh, the iterations of your original band, uh, Luda Negra, which right. started, I believe, in 1989. So give us a little bit of that, and then I'll talk a little bit about the album as well. Well, the, the, the band that performs and tours is still John Gagan on bass, who's been on bass since 1989, and Chris Steele on drums and percussion. But I had something, you know, specific in mind for the sound of this album. So the, the the group I called together for this album, and this album is sort of a pendulum swing from the last one, which was called Slow, and was sort of a more meditative, just guitar album. Um, and I wanted to do something a lot more upbeat and joyful. And there are a couple brothers in Santa Fe. Char Rothschild and Robbie Rothschild, who are amazing musicians. Uh, Robbie plays percussion, and Char plays accordion on the album. Um, then, of course, John Gagan on bass, and J.Q. Whitcomb is a trumpet player, and he's one of those people that, you know, in my case, what I do is I, I send him some rough mixes, and then he comes by, and um, you never know what he's going to do with a song, which I really find exciting. So he's got so many different influences that you never know whether a horn section is going to sound a little more R&B or jazz or world music or African, you know, whatever. He just always puts an interesting arrangement on the music, and I really like trumpet horn sections, you know, forget about the saxophone and the trombone, just do multiple trumpets. It just has such a bright and precise sound that I really like it, whereas saxophones sound a little bit more fuzzy and 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 big, whereas a, a trumpet sound is sort of um, more pointed, and I really like some of the, the horn sections he wrote for the new album. And it was recorded in Santa Fe. Yes, right. yes. Here's an off-the-wall question I just thought of, uh-huh. and but uh-huh. I know you can handle it. Is it possible to be a Zen monk 
and connect with Las Vegas. In other words, could you live here given your, where you are as a Zen monk and where you are with your art? Does that kind of how work for you as far as living day to day, or is it you just prefer the connection with Santa Fe? Well, I, I think in a way Las Vegas represents all of the things that can sidetrack and tempt you. So I think it would be an amazing exercise to live there. I might not enjoy it as much, but it would definitely be a really interesting exercise. Because, I mean, that's what, that's what Las Vegas is about, right? Right. You know, it's about all the things that want to take up some of your time that are interesting or exciting. So I, I think it could definitely be done, but would you want to do it? Well, it'd be a challenge for you to see if you could stay for focused sure. <laughs> in for that sure. sense. So, sure. And you would also be able to meet fellow musicians and performers here because there, there's so many that not only live and perform here, but people coming in as you do, uh, coming into Club oh, Madrid as well. Absolutely. Yeah. I always meet you know a lot of really interesting people there, so I always look forward to it. When you look at your career and you look back when you started we talked about the Beat Club. Were there one or two musicians, performers that appealed to you and that you, not necessarily that you were, that they were heroes to you, but that oh. they were someone that inspired you to develop as a musician? Um, yeah, for sure. Um, the uh, one thing that uh, definitely as a teenager really, really influenced me was that I started really listening to trumpet players because the guitar, like the piano, you can really sort of play without taking a breath. You can just cram as many notes into a phrase as you want to because you're, you're not using your breath like a singer or a, you know, a horn player. And um, I started listening to horn players because I love that sort of phrasing. It has a naturalness to it, and, it, and that's not a, in itself unusual. A lot of guitar players listen to to horn players. You know, Carlos Santana loves the saxophone players. George Benson used to sing along to his uh, soloing, and it was only later discovered that he actually had a great voice. But he started out, I believe, singing along just to make those phrases more, I don't know what the right word is, it, you know, it's not more human, but it's human in a different way because it's based on the breath. But if you were looking at those people that inspired you, so Carl Santana would be one, for example. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I went to my, my first concert, I think I was about 15 or 16, was Santana in Cologne uh, with a little opening act called Earth, Wind and Fire. <laughs> and you know, I don't know why, but I had never heard of Earth, Wind, and Fire in '75. You may have been the only was, one. Oh my God! It hit me like a truck for sure. <laughs> yeah, um, and of course, it's a small world because Carlos Santana performs a lot here in residency as well. Yeah. So. Well, we we actually played in Las Vegas one time with him because in '96 we toured with him for about three or four months. Uh, as his opening act, and then, of course, like he does with a lot of his the people that he brings along, we um, we would do our opening act, and then um, 
he would play for a while and then he would wave us up and I think all of us would go on stage and play like, you know, four or five songs with him, three or four songs, something like that. So that must have been great in the sense of being inspired by him at an early age and then getting to tour with him. If you had told me that when I was 15, I would have said, no way, that's never going to happen. So yeah, that was definitely amazing. When you work on your material and you look at your art, do you see continual evolution? I'll, I'll just use that term evolution or growth. Mm. Or do you stay on a plateau for a while? Not that, that there's anything wrong with a plateau. I think mm. sometimes a plateau can help in terms of reorganizing mm. and rethinking and fertilizing, so to speak. But right. do, you, do you find that you are on a trajectory that that inspires a growth in terms of your approach to music? Or are you at that plateau where you stay for a while and say, hey, you know what, I like this particular area that I'm in in terms of an approach to music, and I want to stay with that for a couple of albums and several more years of performances? Or I guess the the question is whether you change immediately or evolve more rapidly, or is it just a steady growth? I think it sort of crisscrosses because before slow... Um, I did an album called Waiting in Swan, and that had uh, that explored the, the the similarity of reggae rhythms with um, some of the flamenco rhythms like tangos and rumba, which actually come from the same place because they were brought to Spain by sailors from the Caribbean. See, a lot of people think of flamenco as being this, you know, Spanish folklore, and it really isn't. Spanish folklore is a small part of it. But a huge part of it is Arabic music, and there's also a whole group of rhythms that were brought to Spain from the Caribbean. And so after exploring that on this new album, there's a few things where I, you know, in a more subtle way, uh, not necessarily with a, with a reggae rhythm, but the, what the rhythm guitar does is definitely based on, on what happened on that album. So these things tend to have a thing that is a little bit circular and you never know when these things come back. You know, it's not a, and I think in general, if you look at whether you look at an artist's evolution or just your life, it's always easier to look back and see how it makes sense and how it comes together. You know, you got to live it forward, but you only understand it backward. Well, that's a great way to leave it. My guest has been Grammy award nominee, musician, Otmar Liebert guitarist, songwriter, producer. He's performing in Club Madrid at Sunset Station Saturday, September 7th at 8 p.m. For ticket information, go to sunsetstation.sclv.com. And for everything about Otmar Liebert, including his new album, FET, which is available, as I mentioned earlier, on the Bandcamp app and website, and it will also be available on CDs at many of his shows and eventually through digital streaming iTunes and all the rest. You can go to Otmar's website, otmarliebert.com. And Otmar, thanks for being on the show. Thank you very much. It was See, a great conversation. I enjoyed it. Thank you very much. I did too. See you next time. You've been listening to Talk About Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world.
when you 